This is Bob Rock with Business Leaders Podcast. And we're extremely fortunate this morning. We have Robin Roberts. She's the president and CEO of Pikes Peak National Bank. And I have my co-host this morning, Kath Wicklin. She is a CEO and Vistage Chair of Southern Colorado. Robin, thanks so much for taking time to be on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yes, ma'am. Well, tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. Well, uh, Pikes Peak National Bank is a community bank here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we serve primarily small businesses with revenues under $2 million. We also are a consumer-focused bank, but our niche is in that small business market. That market tends to be underserved by financial institutions, and those business owners tend to need more one-on-one with their bankers and expertise because they're starting or growing their businesses. We do work with startups, which is unusual for a bank, and we are primarily focused in El Paso County, but we are expanding and hope to be moving into other areas of Colorado starting next year in 2020. Well, you know, this, you know, the part I found, I was doing a little research before the show. You've been doing this for 20 years and you start extremely young, apparently. So yes. that's a good thing. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think about the bank relationship and the ideal customer for your bank. What does that ideal customer look like for you over the years? Our ideal customer is a younger business owner who is growing their business and needs to be able to speak with a banker that has expertise in business. So that's why we really focus on that annual revenues under $2 million. We have businesses that make more than that. Their revenues are higher than that. But we really see the magic between in the relationship when they're under the $2 million in revenue. Those are business owners who aren't just going to take a picture of their check and deposit it. They're not the ones that are just going to check online for their balances and download it into QuickBooks. They're the business owners that need help. Like, I have this challenge and I need someone to bounce it off of. And bankers don't charge by the hour. I bet we have a lot of expertise because we're seeing businesses in a lot of industries. And so that's where we really do our best work is with those types of business owners. You know, for that business owner, you know, there's the relationship that you typically see in the media between a banker and, and a client. And you guys, your founders started to serve the business market years ago, correct? The bank was started on the west side of Colorado Springs, what we call Old Colorado City. And it was started by businessmen that didn't feel like that the west side of Colorado Springs had financial services supporting. So the community bought stock in the bank and these businessmen ran the bank that one of the businessmen was the mayor of Colorado Springs at the time. And then a family in 1977 bought out all those shareholders and they owned it until last year, January of 2018, when it was sold to another businessman. So it is, it was, I call it, I mean, we were born on the west side of Colorado Springs. We really, you know, that's our heart, but we serve all of El Paso County. I'm always fascinated by the story. And so I don't know if you ran across a lot of women. CEOs in the banking community 20 years ago. Tell me about your path to becoming the CEO of the bank. Well, I have to start that path in the military. So I was in college and then joined the military. And I was in the army for two enlistments and was counterintelligence. And when I got out of 
the army. I was married to someone in the military as well. And we moved to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, while he went to special forces school. And I started in banking there. And I started in in in-store branch, which are the branches that you find in grocery stores. They didn't have those in North Carolina at the time. And they wanted someone with sales experience. And then because of my military experience, they made me the branch manager. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, they sent me to what I call the basic training of banking. Here's a debit. Here's a credit. Here's how to read, you know, a credit report. And it was really just the leadership that I learned in the military that just transferred it over to being in banking. When I got here to Colorado Springs, that's when the owner of the bank at that time, that family that bought out all of the stock, he was a World War II vet. There are not very many vets in commercial banking. There are veterans a lot in investments, investment banking, financial advising, but in commercial banking, that is not a normal transition. So he and I spoke the same language. People who were in the military speak the same language. And he liked that I was a vet. And shortly after I came to the bank, four months after all of the senior leadership left on the same day, they all gave their resignation on the same day. And I thought, wow, I probably made the wrong decision (laughs) of coming to this bank. And um, he came to me because he was the owner and said, I need your help. I need you to move over to our main location, take over our lending area. Okay. I mean, what you learn in the military is, yes, sir, I'm doing it. You're going to figure it out later, but you're going to do it. And so headed over to our main location in Old Colorado City and took over the lending area and just learned. I spent my nights reading regulations and understanding there are things that you can read and there are things that you can learn in a class, but with business, you just got to have the experience. And that's what, you know, I needed the experience of working with business owners and understanding how they think and what their challenges are. And, and ultimately, I just moved up in the bank. And it is really because of my military experience, he felt like he could rely on me And that door opened for me because I was a veteran. And at that time, no one was coming up to me saying, thank you for your service. That didn't happen until much later. No one cared that I was a veteran. It wasn't something, I mean, thank goodness we're seeing that kind of support to our veterans now, but we weren't seeing that then. Post-Vietnam. Yeah. So it was a skill, an experience that I had that helped those doors open for me but other people didn't recognize it or think that it was important. He did, though, and it made all the difference for me. I always love this story because people, I think, in many times go like, well, we have this perception of you always had it gathered up and all together all the time from the beginning and knew it just intuitively. And the answer is not so much. Uh, no, I remember going to, I had just been promoted, I think, to senior vice president of lending or something like that. And I went to this, the Fed had some, Federal Reserve had some kind of event here in Colorado Springs. And this old banker with a cigar kind of voice comes up to me and he's like, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and I was inside going, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I sure don't. But I don't really appreciate you calling me out on it. <laughs> I think I, I don't really remember. I remember inside what I was thinking. I think I just kind of stared at him. I thought it was really rude. But at that time, women in banking in those levels wasn't as common occurrence. And I was used to being underestimated. Well, even that was a climate that wasn't that dis- unusual in the military either. Yes. In the time. Exactly. You know, for you, when you have a, a new business client come in, 
What's the typical range of questions you get initially from those business clients? Usually when they're coming to the bank, they're coming because, and they're talking to me, uh, they're talking, they need funding. And there's a big misconception with business owners who have never borrowed commercially about how that is done. And there's a big difference between getting a mortgage for your house and getting a loan for your business. And they're regulated differently. They're looked at differently. They're kept on the bank's books in a different way. And so they're often asking me, how do I get funding? And it becomes a conversation of education in how banks make commercial loans and what they're looking for. And it often is also a connection to other resources because if they're too new in business, often banks can't help them. They're too new for bank funding. And so it's a connection to other resources of people who can help them and an explanation of what an SBA, Small Business Administration Guarantee is. There's a lot of misconceptions around that. So I help them understand it. And so that's often the question and then the conversation that happens with new business owners because they come to me about funding. Pretend. I'm an almost ideal client and I've arrived at the juncture where I need to take in and get funding, borrow from my business. What advice would you offer to that prototypical client to be prepared to increase their success of being granted funding when they come to see you? Well, I often ask them, what's your plan? Because you shouldn't really be even considering funding until you have a plan. And I think business planning is misunderstood and underrated. I'm a big proponent of business planning, not just for new businesses, but existing businesses as well. And so I, the first thing I'm going to start asking you is, well, what's your plan? Even if it's not written, what is the research you've done for your business? Why do you think this business is going to be successful in this market? What problem are you solving? And they usually know it up here and they can make a good case. And so then it's, you know, if you're wanting funding, we're going to have to have a plan. And then there's an education process about the funding. There's always an education process about the funding. New business owners do not understand commercial funding. And it's such a common question that I get that I actually created a class on commercial funding that I teach every other month at the Pikes Peak Small Business Development Center. It's um, well attended. They also have a webinar so people can take it online. And I cover all of the things that a new business needs to know about funding and give them resources and options and connections to, you know, companies to use their 401k as a funding and companies that micro lenders for when they can't you know, get a bank loan. I teach them about small business administration loans and I teach them about banks too, because every business has to have a business bank account. And so I teach them about that fundamental as well. Yeah, I, I would think the learning curve for them would be much like when you came into the business. It's pretty steep. Yes. Do you find after the, the education that there's some quantity of people that just say, I don't really have a business? Do they step away from their idea? Yes. Um, I've actually... So another place that I teach, I haven't done it recently, but is on Peterson Air Force Base and Fort Carson in their transition, service members transitioning out called Boots to Business. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's an SBA program. And I teach their funding module from time to time. 
And I've actually had people come up to me afterward and say, I now know that I should not have a business. And I say, then that's perfect because I just saved you a lot of money and a lot of time. Some people are not business owners. Some people are going to be great at being a W-2 employee and that is where they are going to be happiest. They're risk averse. They're not willing to take the risk. They're not willing to work the hours. That's okay. It's better to know that before you put your house on the line and you've got employees. In your marriage and Exactly. Your retirement, everything. And entrepreneurs will do that. They are okay with doing that. Their risk tolerance level is much higher. You know, you've been very successful with what you've been doing. So the piece of advice that you might share with the listeners that's most impacted your success trajectory, what do you think it might be? Um, Well, as you mentioned before, I was the president of the bank at 33. So I was young. And I thought I knew everything at 33. I think we all do when we're young. And I was not compassionate, empathetic person. I was trying to prove myself because I had a lot to prove. And I find that in young people who have achieved success early on, they have a lot to prove. And it can come across as arrogance, not caring about your workers, the people that work with you and your connections in the community. So my advice would be, instead of putting that hard shell around you so that the world thinks that you've got it all under control, try being vulnerable. Try being authentic and saying, you know, I don't have this figured out yet, but I'm going to. When people see that humanity in you, there is so much more connection and motivation to help you from the people who work for you and the people in the community who want you to be successful as well. And so when you think you have to have that hard shell around you, I ask you to just take a moment and think the total opposite. What if I take this hard shell off and just say, I need help. I don't have it all figured out and be vulnerable and see what happens. It is amazing the connection, the human connection you can make with people when you are vulnerable. And young people who are successful are afraid to do that because they think someone will say to them, I knew you weren't good enough to be where you are right now. And actually, when you are vulnerable, they say, how do I help you? Because you're asking for help. And so that's my advice is take a step back and allow yourself to be vulnerable. Ask for help because you will be amazed at the people that are willing to help you. And it creates these bonds that just last for years when you're like It's amazing when you say, I need some help. Most people go like, they're one, they're flattered that you ask. And two, it's a rare person who goes, I'm not going to help you. Fairly rare. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But the other, the opposite of not asking for help and acting like you know everything, that can have problems down the road as well because people don't forget how you made them feel. You know, you thought you were covering up all your insecurities and you came across as unempathetic or with a lack of compassion or understanding or connection. Years down the road, you may hear back from that person and it won't be positive. I've actually had that when I was young, when I was first, I think I might have been promoted as president of the bank. So I was 33, 34, and I was at some networking event and somebody came up to me and he said he was a commercial real estate broker. And I can tell you, I probably did not understand what he was talking about and what he did and what his challenges were every day. 
And I guess I came across as, um, I don't care. And many years later, one of our lenders went into his business and tried to get a connection, like maybe we could get some referrals. And he told them, I will never work with Pikes Peak National Bank, get out of here. And then he called me. He said, I want you to know that one of your lenders came in here and I told them to leave. And the reason is because of you. Because many years ago, I saw you at a networking event and you treated me poorly because I was a commercial real estate broker. I treated you poorly because I felt less than you and I didn't know what you do. And I felt really stupid because I didn't. I don't even remember the conversation with this gentleman, but it had an impact on him, obviously, for years. You know, that's really quite remarkable. You know, I think about as, uh, you know, there's a fair discussion about being vulnerable and being authentic nowadays, you know, and, and I liken that to, we talked about it before the show, you have, should have good financials. You go, oh, thanks for that. You know, and I think about the wellspring of confidence you have to have in order to be vulnerable. Because if you're vulnerable and you have no confidence, then I don't know what that does for you. That's a good point. And at the time, you know, like we've talked about before, there weren't a lot of women in a position that I was in. So not only was I feeling insecure in my ability to do my job because I was still learning it, but I'm talking to these men in every networking event. There's like maybe two women and all the rest are men. And so I'm proving myself in that as well. So I'm glad that guy called me because it helped me understand the impact that you make on people when you aren't feeling confident, but you try to show that you are, you're not being authentic. And it affected him for a long time. And I feel horribly about that. Mm. <laughs> well, and on that note, if you could go back to your Roberts, who started at Pikes Peak National Bank at the very beginning and offer her some advice, knowing everything that you know now and discovery that you've made along the way about how things could have gone differently, what would you say to her? I would tell her to ask for help. I did not ever ask for help. I felt like that was a sign of weakness and that people would not have confidence in me as the president of the bank. And I wish that I had asked for help from key people that I was meeting in the community who I think would have been very happy to help me because I would have had some mentor relationships that would have helped. Instead, I hunkered down and stayed in the bank. And because I'd go to those networking events and didn't feel confident, so then I'd just stay in the bank. And so I didn't make connections that could have helped me during what I think was the roughest time in my career, which is during the recession. It was a rough time for a lot of different reasons, but those connections could have helped me during that time. So I wish I would have asked for help. And maybe been a little more vulnerable. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, so for sake of argument, let's pretend that we're back at that point now and you're going like, I need to go ask some help. So if there's somebody else out in a similar situation, what are the inventory of people in the community or positions they might have where you might start asking for help? Well, one thing we have now that we didn't have then is LinkedIn. And there's a wealth of information on LinkedIn and ways to connect to people that you could have never, you could have never gotten through their gatekeeper before. So I would use LinkedIn as a way to be introduced to maybe you know, someone in your industry that is older and has been successful 
and ask for an hour of their time over coffee. I think, I mean, now that I'm older, I'm happy to meet with a young banker. I will take an hour out of my time and have coffee with them. I'm happy to meet with them. And I think other people who are further along in their career are willing to do that as well. And so I would use LinkedIn as a way to, you know, maybe someone who is, you've seen in the community as a good connector, or they seem to be involved in a lot of different things, reach out to them and ask for an hour of their time, buy them coffee and ask them how they connect. How do they meet people? Are there places, organizations that you could be a part of that you're not aware of? I think LinkedIn is a great place to go for uh, particularly younger people today that are new in their industry to link up with or to break through those doors, those secretaries and assistants that aren't going to let you in if you go to their business, you're going to get through on LinkedIn. And if you aren't going to get through, you're connected to someone on LinkedIn who will, who will make that an introduction. Super. So looking over the past few years, as you allocate your time to your business and banking regulations change and the market changes and the economy changes, what's the best allocation of your time or energy over the past few years that's most impacted the bank? Um, I would say the allocation of my time to my own learning and personal development has been the best thing for the bank. And I know that is probably not an answer that you expect, but if you aren't continually learning in this business climate, you're going to be left behind. And we all come across people who are like, well, I graduated from such and such a college you know, 35 years ago, and I'm a Bruin. They have this connection to whatever that mascot was, and they probably haven't learned anything new in their industry in that 35 years. And you're trying to get them to see like the reality of today is not 35 years ago. We're moving forward and technology is moving us faster than ever before. And so you've got to continue to learn. What you learned 35 years ago isn't necessarily applicable today. And I think the CEOs of the future and really not even the CEOs, the leaders in organizations, even if they're not CEOs, are learning all of the time. And there are lots of ways to learn that don't mean you have to leave your business and go to a class for a week. Podcasts are a free, easy way to learn all the time. There's so many good podcasts out there. There are webinars that you can learn. There are books you can read. I think that the investment for me in the last three to four years in personal development and professional learning has been the best thing for the bank. What's your favorite personal development training that you've done in the past three years? This will be odd for some people, but learning the Myers-Briggs personality system has really been helpful to me. It's helped me understand my cognitive stack, but it also helps me understand the people that I work with and the people that are my clients or that I want to be my clients. I can now pretty much understand when I meet someone and talk to them, probably where they fall in that. And it's just something that I've invested in myself. I mean, the bank doesn't, has not done that. I actually went to a retreat last year that was totally focused on Myers-Briggs personality typing. And I know there's a lot of flaws, there's flaws in anything, but there are commonalities that you can see in Myers-Briggs. And for some people, it might be DISC or, you know, there's a lot of different personality typing, but it helps you understand people. And when you understand people, 
you understand how to solve their challenges, and you will be a better person at whatever job you're in, whatever business you create, if you can solve problems. Because CEOs solve problems all day long. People ask me, what do you do as a CEO? I solve problems because that's what I do all day long. When you understand people, you can do that better. Yeah, solve problems, make decisions. Yes. Absolutely. So we've talked about this a little bit, but in your day-to-day operations, what would you say you communicate the most to your team in order to keep them focused and keep them centered around what the mission and culture of the bank is? You mean, how do I communicate with them or? No, what do you, I mean, are there certain things that you say or do or expectations that you set to make sure that we're staying focused on the mission and the culture that you want to provide? Communication at a bank or any business where you've got multiple locations can always be challenging to get kind of the same message out instead of going through telephone, which can happen. So a primary method for me for communication is first email and then in-person. And frankly, I just prefer to do in-person communication with all of our employees as much as I can. Depends on their manager and how confident their manager is. You know, <laughs> if I'm talking to their employees, how, the, how confident they feel about that. I think we're in a culture where they feel good about that. So in-person with employees I've had new employees say to me, I have never worked in any bank where the CEO came and spoke to me. It's pretty impactful. So it's the personal touch, really. Yeah. And remind me what the mission of the bank is. The mission of the bank is to provide financial services to our community, to provide financial services to the community that lifts everyone up. Because when businesses are successful, when our customers are successful, all of us are successful. You know, I think about what that sounds like to me is visiting the troops. Do you think that's where that came from? Definitely. I mean, I think any of us who've been in the military can remember people who, you know, our leaders that didn't talk to us. They wanted us to do a lot of stuff that was hard. They weren't going to do it. And you remember those leaders who were right there with you doing it. But I think there's a quote, and I don't know who said it, that I read where I hired workers and a bunch of human beings showed up. Remembering that our employees spend eight, nine, 10 hours in our organization every day. That's more than they're spending with their family when you separate out sleep. And when they walk through those doors, everything that's bothering them or that they're happy about in their family is not shed at the door. It's still there. And so connecting with them and reminding them, you know, we're all in this together that they're valued, why they chose to work at the bank to begin with. There's a lot of banks to work at. You know, we're in a very low unemployment rate. So they've got a lot of options. And when you have that one-on-one conversation with them, they feel like they matter and that them as a human being matters. They're not a worker. They're a human being. Part of the team. Yes. Before I forget, how do we find you on social media in Pikes Peak National Bank? Pikes Peak National Bank is on um, social media on Facebook, um, Facebook, Pikes Peak National Bank, on Twitter at um, Pikes Peak NB, and on LinkedIn at Pikes Peak National Bank and Instagram at Pikes Peak National Bank as well. And they find you also? They can find me on our website, uh, ppnb.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, Robin J. Roberts on LinkedIn, and um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. You know, thinking about things that you wish you could say to the population at large or the business community. So if you could put an ad on on the front page of the local business journal, what would it say and why? Oh boy. That 
in order to be successful in business, you've got to be realistic. And being realistic doesn't mean that you're a pessimist, that you're always looking for the negative. Being realistic is understanding that there are good things and bad things that happen in business. And the reason behind this is I find a lot of business people in general are optimists. That's why they're in business. But when you are optimistic and someone comes along and says, just be careful of this over here. Why do you always have to be so negative? I'm not being negative. I'm being real. Managing (laughs) risk. You're managing risk. It's data. Exactly. And sometimes the data doesn't feel good. It's real and it's the truth, but the truth doesn't feel good because we want to be happy and optimistic in business. But there are hard things in business and there are hard lessons to learn. And so you have to be realistic, which means you take the negative data and the positive data and you manage that risk. You mitigate that risk when you can. But if you ignore the negative data because it doesn't make you feel good, you're going to have a problem coming down the road. So I would please, business owners, be realistic. I love that you're optimistic. We all do. That's why we have fantastic, amazing businesses that change our culture. But please be realistic about your business today and moving forward. So in the past three years, Robin, what would you say that you've implemented from a belief or protocol standpoint with respect to the business market and being realistic? so that your team members understand some of the, the challenges and opportunities at the same time. So again, you know, I find every entrepreneur that I've ever met and every CEO that I've ever met is an optimist. And they have to be because it won't fly. It just won't fly if you're not an optimist. And not only that, your team is watching you. And I used to tell the leaders this all the time. You're in a fishbowl. If you think you are not in a fishbowl, you are pretending because they are watching you all the time. And you're the one who has to be the cheerleader and the coach and the reprimandy and the, and the, and the, and the, and they're watching you all the time. So what beliefs or protocols do you feel like you communicate with the team to understand what's going on in the market and how you have to react and respond? Well, we've, the bank, you know, as I referred to before, was purchased last year in January of last year. So that was a big change. And there was a lot there, whenever there's an acquisition, There's a lot of uncertainty around that. And bankers in general do not like change. That's their personality. I work with, I understand the personalities of the people that I work with, and they do not like change. That's why they're good at what they do. I love change. (laughs) I thrive in change. I'm happy with change. And I've had to learn as a leader to phase change in because even when it's good for them, they don't like it unless they have a buy-in and it's it's uncomfortable. And see, I love to get uncomfortable. That just, that's where I thrive is when I'm uncomfortable, but not everyone is like that. And bankers are not like that. And so being in, that was a uncertain time and really being able to be comfortable in the change. And it gave them a sense of safety because I was comfortable in the change. They felt, okay, we're going to be okay. I'm not going to lose my job. It's actually been a positive change for the bank. And because I'm comfortable in change, I was able to help them feel safe and secure. Um, Bankers just need to feel safe and secure. They are risk averse, even though we're in the risk business. And you don't want bankers that love 
like to take high risk with depositors' money that money that's insured. Right. Um, you need that. You need that personality type, <laughs> that behavior style. Yes, we've seen how that works very, out. Very not well. Purpose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, thinking about your experience and all the business owners that you've known through the years, if you were going to offer advice to a CEO that's taking the job of CEO for the first time, what would it be and why? Definitely would go back to being vulnerable when necessary. I mean, there are times to be vulnerable where it can be very powerful. You don't need to be vulnerable all the time, but there are times when it's very powerful. I think understanding that the way things are today in this moment is not how they're going to be next year, three years, five years. So when you're making decisions, you can't make decisions based on only what is happening today. Your decisions have to stand the test of time. And that's hard for a young person, period, to do because they don't have the experience of time. And I'm constantly telling business owners this as well. Your situation can change. The situation can change very quickly and that you won't have control over. So making your decisions on a long-term basis, how does this look and test them? How does this decision, I'm talking about strategic decisions for your business. How does this, how does this look in a downturn? How does this look if I lose 5% of my employees? How does this look and kind of think about those things? You might think it's folly. Oh, this is never going to happen. It's probably going to happen. It may not look exactly like you're testing it, but it's going to happen. I would say the most learning that I did was during the recession. It was the worst time in my career. It was the worst time for me as a human being seeing other business owners lose their business, lose their employees, lose their marriages, lose their homes, families. And I know that people think that that's dramatic. It's not dramatic. It's real. And it really impacted me. It impacted me and my heart. And that is why I have um, volunteered at the Small Business Development Center ever since to help businesses make those better decisions in the good times. So back to your question, it's the decisions you're making now, how do they stand the test of time? How do they stand different changes in your industry? And thinking in that way, can that exercising that muscle and getting into that habit will do you well. You know, there was a, a trader that I know of years ago, fairly famous. And he said, I don't know what the market's going to do. I just know what I'm going to do. And so I think you're talking about scenario planning up front, you know, and I think that that really has, you know, a great deal of value. Speaking of which, over the past 20 years, you've seen all kinds of business owners come through the door and some are really successful and some are really not or less successful. What do you think the top one or two traits of the successful business owner might be as compared to the less successful one? Number one, they're willing to put in the hours successful business owners will put in the hours. And I see so many times people come to me, I want to start a business. I'm tired of the nine to five. So you want to work six to 10? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. it's, there's a lack of, um, again, we're not being realistic, right? The um, successful business owners put in the time. Their business is a piece of them and they work it. There's nothing that they would rather be doing than working in their business. And business owners that work nine to five or they come in only half of the day, that it's just not going to cut it in business. It doesn't work that way. 
So number one, they've got to be able and want to put in the time. And the second is that they know that their people are the key to their success. Their people are who their customers deal with. Their people represent their brand. Their people were there at the beginning and have kept them and were there in the hard times. And so when I see successful businesses, they've got some long-term employees. And those employees are really loyal to them. So willing to work and put in the hours and their people are an integral part of their business planning. Which is very motivating for me to hear because without people, you don't have a business. Nope. Right. So when you think about what motivates you and how you keep yourself motivated to go in every day, do the hard work and deal with some of the challenges that you have on a daily basis, what keeps you motivated? That's definitely changed over the years. You know, when I was young, it was more of an ego part. You know, you want to do be successful. You want to move up in the business. And I think a lot of young people want that. Today, I see our employees that want to move quickly through or move up through the bank or do other things. Today, the motivation is more about who I'm serving. It's the business customers that we're helping. When I drive around Colorado Springs and I see businesses and I think, we were there, you know, and there's successful businesses that are growing. I'm not taking credit for it. It's the business owner who's doing it and taking the risk. But the bank took the risk too and believed in them. And I love that. And when I see our employees, and I, again, I've been at the bank for 20 years, I see some of our former employees who are now in increasingly more responsible positions in the banking industry. That makes me feel good. So I'm now at a point where it's more, and it has been for a few years, about who am I serving? That's motivating because there are days where you just say, why am I doing this again? There's not enough money you can pay me to be putting up with this. And then you center yourself back and it's like, well, why am I doing this? It's not about the money that you're paying me. It's about who am I serving? And how do you motivate your team then? Well, I mean, you hope that the motivation is who they are serving because you know when it really comes down to it if they're not serving customers each other sometimes the you know their customer is the other employees depends on what department they're in i mean then they don't have a job at our bank or really if they're not looking at it in that way they're not going to have a job for very long so you hope that you can motivate people in that way about service but you can't, you know, people are where they are. You know, you got to meet people where they are. So sometimes serving other people is not their priority. Sometimes getting that paycheck and feeding their kids and they're going through a divorce or they've got a sick parent that they're taking care of. I mean, you don't, and again, it's that human being who's walking in through the door and not a worker. So you just have to meet them where they are. And so sometimes you motivating them is paying them on time and appreciating their work. And it's just the basics of, business because there's a lot of places where you don't get paid on time or you're not sure your payroll your paycheck's even going to uh, clear so as you're out there feeding your mind and getting educated a recent book that you might say was impactful or you might recommend I've read so many books I'm trying to think about I kind of move back and forth and Catherine and I laugh about this because I have about 10 books open. <laughs> well, we both do. It's a, yeah, we both do. We laugh because we both do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I start one and then I'm moving on to another. So I'm really having a hard time. Like the one that's so powerful for me right now 
is Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. And I actually read the book 10 years ago and it just didn't speak to me. It didn't speak to me at all. I was like, what is this guy talking about? And put it aside. And here I am 10 years later, and this book has made an, a huge impact. What he's saying is so deep and important. And I listened to him on a podcast, and he talks about how there are people who are ready for it, and there are people who are not. And 10 years ago, I wasn't ready for it. Now, that book has changed really the way that I see our entire existence. So highly recommend <laughs> Eckhart Tolle. And motivating you. Very motivating. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. So with that, a quote maybe that you might share that you either like or use frequently. If you don't ask, the answer's no, is one of my favorite quotes. And it's, it actually, I used to tell myself that because I w- didn't have the confidence to ask. And I would just say, but if you don't ask, the answer's no, so you better ask. It would actually be a motivating, okay, I'm just going to ask, ask for the business, ask for you to join my team, ask if we can sponsor this, whatever, you know, all of these uncomfortable things that we are in when we're in business is just ask. It's amazing what happens when you just ask. Now, um, the quote I like the most is truth without compassion is brutality because I'm a person who tends to just say what I think and you can be very hurtful with the truth. And so adding, being empathetic and compassionate as you say it has a lot more power. And I don't want to be a brutal person. That's not who I am. It's not who I see myself as in this world. So for those of us who just like to say what we think, being a little more compassionate in that is helpful. You've talked about compassion and being vulnerable versus where you started. Was there an aha moment or a pivot point where that resonated with you to the point that you decided to change? Yes. Uh, We'll go back to the recession for that. Before the recession, we had clients who would come in and they were longtime clients of the bank, business clients who would tell us, like, I want this loan and it needs to be at this interest rate. And they had, you know, deposits and a relationship with us where we were like, we don't want to lose this business. And then in the recession, these were the, it was those people who were coming and sitting in front of my desk saying, I can't make payroll. I think I'm going to lose my house. My wife is leaving me. And it was this human. You see business people as invincible and they're not, they're human beings. And you, I saw this human part of business. So that really made me see these business people as really, there's so much more and they have so much to lose business people have so much to lose. They take so much risk. We should really honor them way more than we do the risk they take. I'm so grateful for it every day for you know all the places that we go because business really does create culture in your communities. But that changed me as a person. And then one day after the recession or maybe toward the end of it, I was going through an old file folder I had because, you know, We didn't always have email in the past. And so we wrote memos and sent them out to our employees back in the day. On stone. (laughs) And I found this old folder uh, and I had it titled memos. And I started going through them and they were memos from early on when I was put in leadership positions at the bank. And the tone of these memos was so, you will do this and we will do this. And there was a lot actually of sarcasm in there which is a trait of mine that I have to be very careful with because I can be extremely sarcastic and 
It's not a good trait. I mean, the shame, I was reading these and I just felt, you know, when you feel shame come up and I'm reading through these, I'm like, I can't believe who is this person? And I told my, and I could see the woman who was writing them and how insecure she was and how she was trying to prove herself. I was like, never again. I, I've, and, and also very grateful that I've come so far that I can see that and go, man, who is that chick? She needs to get her crap together. There was a lot to be learned from there. But aha moment to look back at that. That's not who I want to be. And that's not who I am now. And I wish I could go back and tell that a little kinder. You don't have to be so sarcastic. You don't have to be so, it's okay. You got this. But it, that was a gift. It was truly to Absolutely. back and say, mm-hmm. I've matured as a human being. I've become more of who I want to be and who I'm meant to be. Yeah. And from a leadership perspective, that's what endears people to you, right? So you've had employees that have been with you the whole time. Yeah, we have right? some employees who've been, I mean, we have one employee who's been there longer than mm-hmm. I have. And I've been there for 20 years. Right. And they've watched you mature and grow, you know, into the amazing human being and woman that you are, as well as a leader of that institution. And what a joy for them too. And I've watched them too. It's been kind of fun for all of us to kind of grow at the same time. Some of it's age, some of it's, you know, you, I mean, for me, it's been a lot of personal development work, which has been intentional and I see it in them as well. Everyone does things in their own way and their own time. Yes. Well, shifting gears a bit, we're very privileged on this podcast to have Kath Wickland the Vistage Chair, co-hosting. And for some of the folks out there, they may not know what Vistage is or what Vistage does. So rather than leave them in a lurch, I thought maybe it'd be a good idea for Kath to explain what Vistage does and helps in the community. Well, I will tell you that um, three years ago, I actually didn't know what Vistage was or what they did and um, have learned a ton since then. So Vistage is actually a worldwide, it's a global membership organization, and it was created specifically for business leaders globally to provide a private peer advisory board for business owners, business leaders, presidents, CEOs, CXO teams, um, directors and above to come together once a month and do professional development. So we have speakers that come in and then also problem solve and troubleshoot with people in their community who are non-competitors to their industry. And I will tell you the learning and the value is priceless. One thing that I know, I've been in leadership, I like to say since before Colorado had a hockey team, I've been in leadership most of my life. And what I know and what I have seen is that CEOs make sure that everyone else gets the development that they need, but rarely take the time to develop themselves. Robin is an exception. And I... Rob and I have worked together for about three years and I have just the utmost respect for her. And she is a diamond in the rough in that she sees the need for personal professional development. I I run into a lot of CEOs that read books. Reading books is data. It is not the same as experience, right? So you put those CEOs together in a room where they're brainstorming and innovating and challenging one another, magic happens. And Vistage creates that environment for those business leaders and business owners. And I basically um, facilitate and lead the group, which is a bit sometimes like herding cats, but it is absolutely a gift to be a part of what happens that one day a month when they come together. Well, Robin, 
Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. And we have a blizzard or something coming into town today, so that'll be fun. And Kath, thanks so much for helping with the fabric of the podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you.